Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It is so great to be with you on this Friday. We have made it through another week of American politics and quite the show to get into today. Starting off with this, Kevin McCarthy is caught up in quite the drama, a debacle within his party, being challenged pretty severely and taunted by Matt Gage repeatedly, as we'll look at. Now, this comes within the context of both a debate on appropriations, deciding on funding the government. If they can't come to an agreement in the very near future, the government will shut down. And uh, this is happening right now within Congress. And then also, of course, Kevin McCarthy's announcement that he will be directing a committee to launch an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. And so while all that's going on, Matt Gates is saying Kevin McCarthy hasn't been as in line with the ambitions of particularly the far right part of the party and thus needs to either get into compliance with the agreement made uh, between the hardcore MAGAs and the Kevin McCarthy branch of the party to give Kevin McCarthy the speakership or Matt Gates will push for the removal of Kevin McCarthy from his position as Speaker of the House. Specifically, the demands from Matt Gates are these single subject spending bills, term limits vote, balanced budget vote, release January 6th tapes to all, find the truth about January 6th, the feds, uh, and then subpoena Hunter Biden. So those are the demands from Matt Gates. If Kevin McCarthy doesn't follow through, Matt Gates is saying he will try to uh, call for a motion to vacate. With that being said, Kevin McCarthy is very unhappy and had a closed door meeting where this took place. Much appreciated. The House Republican Conference behind closed doors today sounded a bit like this. Okay, I'm not going to bring those actual nasty words into your living room, but Speaker Kevin McCarthy held a closed door meeting with House Republicans that was intense and became heated. Three sources in the room tell CNN that McCarthy grew frustrated at the threats to oust him as Speaker. At one point, McCarthy said, the, said quote, move the effing motion referencing recent threats from Republican Congressman Matt Gates, calling for a motion on the House floor to remove McCarthy as speaker, to which Gates responded, quote, how about just move the effing spending bills? Obviously, nobody said effing, but you catch the drift. After the meeting, reporters caught up with McCarthy to ask him about these threats from Congressman Gates. Threats don't matter, and sometimes people do those things because of personal things, and that, that's all fine. I don't walk away from a battle. I knew changing Washington would not be easy. I knew people would fight or try to hold leverage for other things. Changing Washington, making it less functional. Gonna... What a brave fighter. Uh, and then you have Matt Gates's response. So Kevin McCarthy has been saying Matt Gates doesn't actually want the demands that he's laying out. He's not actually doing this out of principle. He is caught up with an ethics committee situation and wanted me to protect him and I'm not going to do that and so now he's getting retribution or trying to leverage this to make that happen so he's making the accusation that this is something separate from what Matt Gates is saying that it is I will say by the way there's no good guys in the story so from our perspective is just watching the mayhem take place in a sense it's good as i've talked about for the gop especially as we go into an election season to be divided because that makes it harder for them to unite around um the campaign against president joe biden being the presumptive democratic nominee but right now it's a bad time because we do want the government to be funded so it doesn't uh, shut down so this isn't just a complete debacle with not a whole lot of ramifications there are meaningful 
ramifications as the chaos ensues. Here's Matt Gates on MSNBC. The speaker says this is really about an ethics complaint. Your response? My response is really going to surprise you. This is about term limits, a balanced budget amendment, and single subject spending bills, just like I've been saying for an entire year. I am the most investigated man in the entire Congress. And right there, you saw Kevin McCarthy lying like a dead dog because I have never asked him to interfere in any ethics matter. I had the okay. FBI and DOJ who hate me investigate me for three years. You covered it nearly nine. So, uh, <laughs> you heard what he said there, but separate from that, side note, is that a phrase, lying like a dead dog? Do dead things lie? Hmm. Then another moment from this same interview. So all we're trying to do, it's not impeachment, nothing to do with it. It's just answer these questions. And they're playing for Matt Gates a clip of Kevin McCarthy. Had the president been truthful? When he said he never talked to his son about business, or never dealt with Burisma, never dealt with Ukraine that way, we would never do this. It's not impeachment. Nothing to do with Before playing Matt Gaetz's response, what does that mean? This is not impeachment. We're just asking questions. It's called an impeachment inquiry, sir. It is definitely in the impeachment ballpark, but they haven't been able to prove that Joe Biden was lying about the things he just said there. Congressman, the question is one, is this an inquiry that's going towards impeachment? If so, what is the high crime or misdemeanor? And uh, is Kevin McCarthy handling this the right way this week or not? Yeah, I couldn't tell if you cut away to Kevin McCarthy or a commercial for low T, uh, because yesterday's impeachment is somehow today's not impeachment. Good gracious, if we actually have to go make the case against Joe Biden, let's hope we have effective people like Jim Jordan and James Comer making the case and, and maybe turn off Kevin McCarthy's microphone for a while. So not holding any punches, obviously this is just my opinion would be, uh, is just a chance for Matt Gates to get in the headlines and get the attention and of course, but it's still fascinating to watch just all out chaos within the GOP, even more than was present before. And we knew this was going to be the situation as was foreshadowed by the fight for the speakership on the part of Kevin McCarthy, the 15 votes and all that went along with that. And whenever you hand your party over to people like Matt Gates, like Lauren Boeber, like all these different individuals we follow on a daily basis, then of course you're not going to be an effective governing party. Of course you're never going to be extreme enough for them. Of course you're going to have mutinies. <laughs> come up every so often as Kevin McCarthy is now dealing with and apparently very unhappy about it as we uh, just saw and then one more moment from this same Ari Melber interview is interesting to see you go to this point with the speaker he seems to be implying that you are not doing these things for the reasons you say but that you were requesting or perhaps through other people requesting some special handling or, or, or treatment in the ethics complaint you're saying that's a lie tonight that is, a, that is an abject lie from a sad and pathetic man who lies to hold on to power. He lied to get power in January when he made this agreement, and he's lying now about the basis for breach. And you know what? Eventually, the lying has to come to an end, and the votes are going to start on a motion to vacate. Uh, I certainly hope that instead of that path, the speaker comes into compliance on term limits, balanced budgets, and single-subject spending bills. And guess what? 
If yep. that happens, there will be no motion to vacate, which would which would totally cut against his argument that this is somehow about an, an ethics matter of like the lies of yesteryear. So there he's not bringing up that he also wants the January 6th. All the tapes released to prove the conspiracy theories that aren't obviously substantiated or anywhere near accurate um, and also subpoenaing Hunter Biden. But as I previously said, on its own, these types of debacles are somewhat entertaining from the perspective of those wanting the GOP to be unsuccessful in their battle, especially in this upcoming election against the Democratic uh, Party. But we are in a crucial moment where appropriations is being decided on, so it would be nice to have an effective governing party in these important positions of authority. And this is what you get when you elect very unserious people into very serious positions of authority. And as I've continued to say, I won't go through the list again, but when you look at the Democratic Party's record, when they had the House, the Senate, and the White House for the first two years of Biden's presidency, it's a long and impactful and historic policy record, a list of achievements that will actually impact the lives of Americans. What do we get from the GOP? A whole lot of political stunts, a whole lot of political attacks, but not a whole lot of political uh, and policy achievements. And that's the difference, and I hope people take and understand that difference going into 2024. The United Auto Workers Union has launched a historic strike aimed at getting the workers uh, better pay, better benefits, absolutely things they deserve. And I'll show you an interesting clip from CNN where Jake Tapper asked the question, confronts sort of, uh, posed the question to one of the CEOs being negotiated with, the Ford CEO. Hey, as the union president's calling for, why not increase the wages of your workers at the same percentage as you increased your own pay? Which, uh, great question, and we'll see his response in just a moment, but first hear from Reuters. The United Auto Workers Union launched simultaneous strikes at three factories owned by General Motors, Ford Motor, and Chrysler parent Stellantis on Friday, kicking off the most ambitious U.S. industrial labor action in decades. The walkouts at the Detroit Three will halt production of the Ford Bronco, Jeep Wrangler, and Chevrolet Colorado pickup truck, along with other popular models, though the action was smaller than some expected, with roughly 12,700 workers striking at the outset. So what the union president is doing here is strategically starting off limited and having certain locations, I think it's 9% of the workers striking, with the threat looming that he can increase that and will if the executives don't give in to their demands. Then here from NPR, he has repeatedly doubled down the union president, that is, uh, on the union's key economic demands, including 40% pay raises, he says, would be in line with CEO wage increases, the restoration of pension and retiree health care, and cost of limit living adjustments. And with that being said, here's Jake Tapper asking, why not the same percentage that was increased uh, when it comes to the executives and applying that to the workers? I just interviewed uh, Sean, the head of the UAW, the other day, and I just wanted to pass on a question based on something he had told yeah. me the other day, which is that over the last four years, each uh, of the big three car manufacturer CEOs, in addition to their multi-million dollar salaries, they received on average a 40% pay increase. So why are the auto workers wanting a raise beyond what's been asked? Why is that so offensive compared to the 40% raises they have given themselves? 
Mm -hmm. Jake spoke to Sean Fain the other day live on air, and he is asking, uh, the union is saying that CEOs like yourself of the big three have received 40% pay increases yourself. So why is it so egregious for the union workers to be asking for the same thing? Actually, we're really open to huge increases. 40%? Well, you know, it depends how you count that. I wasn't a CEO four years ago, so I, I can't speak for myself, but I will tell you that we have put on the table increases, double-digit increases that we've never seen before, 20-plus percent. If you include COLA, it's even larger than that. But that's that. not 40, what Right, and I'm for. saying 40% will put us out of business. We would lose $15 billion. We would have to plant and clip. All right, and then... Before playing the response from the UAW chief, Sean Fain, this reminds me of uh, 30 Rock is a show I really like. And there's a episode where Jack Donaghy, the CEO, or not CEO, he's a vice president or something, but an executive, he is talking to one of the pages. Uh, and the page is asking about overtime work and saying, they're telling me I'm not supposed to get my overtime pay, but I'm working overtime. So I feel like signing my name to a form that's saying I'm not working overtime for the purposes of saving the money is me lying. And Jack Donaghy, the executive says, sorry, it's tough times. We just don't have money in the budget to give you your overtime pay. And so you got to do it, Kenneth. Um, and then Kenneth finds out the page that Jack Donaghy, because his paycheck accidentally gets delivered to Kenneth, is getting these massive bonuses. <laughs> And so then he goes up to him and confronts him and says, you know, you said we didn't have extra money, but you're getting a bonus. Bonus means extra. We have extra money. And it reminds me of uh, what we're seeing play out here. Then here is the head of the union responding to what was just said. You heard the CEO of Ford say that it would bankrupt them if they met your demands. What do you think of that? I think it's a joke. You know what? They could double our pay right now. Labor, the cost of labor the co that goes into a vehicle is 5% of the vehicle. They could double our wages and they could not raise the price of vehicles. They would still make billions of dollars. It's a lie like everything else that comes out of their mouth. And so regardless of the exact specifics of the budgetary decisions that would have to be made to continue thriving as a company on the part of Ford and uh, Chrysler or whoever, this is the very worker advocacy that we talk about on a daily basis being so necessary on the part of unions, why they're so valuable. Things like this can happen. The amount of power that's being leveraged right now by Sean Fain and his union is so far and beyond what any individual worker could do to advocate for themselves without the structure and unity of a union. And so when we talk about in a more vague sense, unions and the way that that increases pay on average and the way that benefits and workplace conditions are better. We're seeing it play out here. This is the power struggle that actually ends up taking place. And it's absolutely within the union's right to see what they can get for the workers. And it's exciting to see such a historic, massive action in that direction. And regardless of how it, it turns out exactly, will they get the 40% figure or something different? This is what we should be rooting on uh, day after day. Strong, powerful advocacy for workers. Josh Hawley uh, was responding to a question during a recent event. And I want you to just see jam-packed into this little clip I'm gonna show you. So many distortions, so many incorrect statements being made. And it's really frightening 
because it's going to take me a while to break down why this is dishonest just because of the magnitude of the dishonesty in this short little clip and that's why it's so difficult to pull people out of the thinking that is necessary to think what is being said here is reasonable another pattern emerging that with the the white house sending out a letter to the uh, legacy media telling them not to pay attention to the uh, republican inquiry of impeachment of course we have the new variant of COVID out the election variant uh that uh, that is out <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, it's like we're seeing a repeat. Yeah. yeah. No, that's exactly right. Okay, before Josh Hawley goes, just the questions, whoa, packed into there. So many distortions. The White House, they know how to word everything to make it sound more suspicious. The White House sent a letter to legacy media to say, don't pay attention to the Biden impeachment effort by Republicans based on unsubstantiated claims that they admit they don't actually have impeachable offenses. Okay. Um, Actually, the White House, like every other entity that the news covers, can send statements, can send letters to media advocating on behalf of their position, and the media can take that into consideration. That's what happened. Just like every White House ever, just like every uh, prominent individual ever. And then he says, the election variant, COVID now, we're seeing a surge because it's going to be used to steal the election from Trump in 2024, so they're surging now what and a surge would hurt the person who's currently in power being joe biden but that's going to actually 40 chess help joe biden it makes no sense right i think what we find is this administration and the radical left has an incredible thirst for power tony and, and i would just say I, I don't know how you feel but i think we are facing the most serious threat to our country in any of our lifetimes and i mean maybe maybe in the last century or more. I mean, the radical cultural Marxism, the new Marxism that is driving this administration and is driving the left, it is a thirst for power. And you're seeing it, Tony. I mean, if you disagree with them, they will come after you. They will try to shut you down. Heck, they would throw us all in jail if they could. They absolutely would. And it's, a, it's an extremism of a kind we've never seen, I think, in this country before. We talked about on yesterday's show, Mitt Romney, calling out Josh Hawley, according to a new book that's coming out, and Ted Cruz for being individuals who say a lot of wild things like what you saw there, but don't actually mean it. It's a character that they're playing. It's disingenuous. And how Mitt Romney can work with people, the example cited was like Ron Johnson, who is crazy, but authentically so, but can't work with people like Josh Hawley, who is crazy, but not authentically so. And you see it there. It's just a character that he's playing. He doesn't actually believe that the left has this uh, thirst for power that is unprecedented and a threat to America like we've never seen before. It is fascinating that he uses the phrase thirst for power because he's one of the individuals who was a big supporter and a perpetuator of the very lies that were being used to justify Trump's attempt to in the name of his thirst for power or in the interest of his thirst for power overthrow our democratic process josh hawley was going along with those very lies giving his fist to the supporters right before uh january 6th and so then it's just so much projection there and i say again i know that out on social media in the world people of all different political labels can be absolutely extreme and wild and off the walls 
<clears throat> but in our political conversation, it is only relevant for the most part to look at who is making it and which ideologies are making it to positions of power. That gives us a sense, okay, is this an issue or an ideology that is broadly held within the country, broadly represented within the country, or is it just some fringe thing that doesn't have any impact on the nation? And if it can make itself into a position of power, then you know, okay, this is broadly represented and thus should be talked about in our political conversations. And so within the context of that, what is it that you're saying is so extreme, so radical, the Marxism of the Democratic Party? The American Rescue Plan, the gun safety bill, and all the things I go through every single day. My uh, consistent viewers have heard this list too many times. Lowering prescription drug costs, oh my gosh. The Marxism, investing in infrastructure, a historic investment in infrastructure, really? That's the Marxism? No, of course not. It's a vague gesture toward the woke that they fear monger so much about. And it gets in the way of a more meaningful conversation about the things I just mentioned. About why are you opposed to the enhanced child tax credit, Josh Hawley, that has allowed for so many children to go back into poverty, the lapsing of it, I should say, that cut childhood poverty in half when it was implemented. Now, again, we're seeing a spike, as we talked about yesterday, because it's lapsed because of the obstruction of Republicans and Joe Manchin. And we can't have those policy conversations because instead they're just screaming, cultural Marxism, woke, 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 woke. <laughs> and that's the point. That's the point. What I have for you next is so bizarre and ridiculous. Donald Trump did an interview on Meet the Press, the debut edition with Kristen Welker. She's replacing Chuck Todd on NBC News and got asked about the UAW strike. And what I want to do is show you his response to that question, then show you Joe Biden speaking about the UAW strike. We talked about in a past segment, the United Auto Workers Union is going on strike demanding as they absolutely should, better pay, better benefits, and will continue to follow that. And Trump, in responding to a question about it, about which side he's on, he just gives the most discombobulated word salad you could possibly imagine. And then, as I said, let's contrast that with what Joe Biden had to say, very much to the point about the subject. Let's talk about the economy. And I want to start by talking about this big standoff between the auto workers and the big three auto manufacturers. Yeah. My question for you, Mr. President, whose side are you on in this? Uh, I'm on the side of uh, making our country great. Uh, the auto workers, uh, are not going to have any jobs when you come right down to it because if you take a look at what they're doing with electric cars electric cars are going to be made in china the auto workers are not going to have any i'll tell you what the auto workers are being sold down the river by their leadership and their leadership should endorse trump the reason is you gotta have choice like in school i want school choice i also want choice for cars if somebody wants gasoline if somebody wants all electric they can do whatever they want but they're destroying the consumer and they're destroying the auto workers the auto workers will not have any jobs Kristen, because the all of these cars are going to be made in china the electric cars automatically are going to be made in china so let's talk about you so i don't know about you but i didn't hear an answer to the question there uh what is your take on the UAW strike? The demands being made from the union, the response from the executives, kind of where do you stand on that? And it's 
the leadership of the union should endorse me and I'm going to make America great and electric cars and China doesn't exactly address the question asked. Now, there's a whole separate conversation that's interesting and important to have about making sure as we progress with green energy, we don't allow for those supply chains to be too dependent on other countries, 100%. But that doesn't address the question when it comes to this strike. And I will note, when it comes to manufacturing in the United States of America, Bidenomics, as it's called, has a really good record on that super strong increases in manufacturing jobs. So apparently, not too shabby to take the Biden approach. And on the subject of the Biden approach, here was his uh, response to this strike. Auto companies have uh, seen record profits, including in the last few years because of the extraordinary skill and sacrifices of UAW workers. But those record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers. Just as the Treasury Department has released a report pointing out that the most comprehensive report ever dealing with how unions are good for both union workers and non-union workers to and the overall economy. Unions raise workers' wages, they said, incomes, increase home ownership, increase retirement savings, increase access to critical benefits like sick leave. And we talked about that report in a past segment. Uh, Kamala Harris led up a task force that commissioned a report that the Department of Treasury released about the benefits, the vast and massively impactful benefits of unions and uh, words such as that in support of efforts like this in favor of the well-being of workers super important to come from the president of the united states obviously actions are even more important and that's what we're seeing especially recently from the Biden administration the nlrb under the Biden administration has made massive historic changes to the rules surrounding unionization that will strengthen and uh, really breathe new life into the ability for workers to unionize. The article we talked about in a past segment, I think it was titled like, This is Incredible or something on the YouTube channel if you wanna find it. It has Biden's face as the thumbnail. But the title of this American Prospect article was that we talked about Biden's NLRB brings workers' rights back from the dead. A decision last Friday makes union organizing possible again. And again, you can look back at that segment for my analysis uh, and the breakdown of the details of the changes from the National Labor Relations Board. And so the rhetoric being strong, incredible, the actions being strong, incredible, and it can make such a big difference just having one singular pro-union president, which is what we have right now. And it's great to see that Biden's following through on one of the big promises of his campaign, that he would be one of the most pro-union presidents in American history. Speaking of President Joe Biden, he delivered a speech and much of the speech was spent taunting or some of the speech was spent taunting former President Donald Trump on his economic record. It was funny to see. And I'll show you a couple clips from this and then we'll discuss. When it comes to reducing deficit, let's compare the records a little bit. Under my predecessor, you remember the self-professed king of debt? Well, it turned out he was. He's actually the emperor of debt. He created more debt than any other president did in one year. No, I'm serious. For starters, when he passed that $2 trillion tax cut skewed to the wealthy and big corporations, they didn't pay for a penny of it. The end result was that it has ballooned the national debt by nearly 40%. And then he goes on to talk about his far superior record when it comes to the debt and the deficit. Now, I do always want to be super accurate. Obviously, he's going to word it that way. Uh, it's true that Trump's tax cuts ballooned the deficit 
and he didn't have a fiscally responsible approach to being present. A lot of the increase to the debt was necessary because of the recovery to the pandemic. So that I don't blame Trump for. Similar to some of the things we talk about with elements of Biden's presidency that are negative, that the pandemic actually are responsible for. And so we don't blame Biden for that. Same thing with Trump on the massive increase towards the end of his presidency to the deficit, thus debt. But that doesn't excuse a massive ballooning of the deficit for the purposes of giving massive tax cuts to those disproportionately at the top of our economic ladder. And that did happen under his watch. So breaking up now, he did mishandle the pandemic, so that made it worse. But just kind of put simply, pandemic recovery, I don't blame him for. And we would have seen an increase to the debt, absolutely. The massive tax cuts before that, I do blame him for. And we see this time and time again. We're going to be fiscally responsible unless we want to give big tax cuts to our wealthy friends. And that is the record of the GOP. Whereas Biden has cut the deficit, whether you like it or not, all while overseeing massive implementations of historically impactful legislation. And then here is the next clip. In fact, only two presidents in American history with fewer jobs the day they left office than when they started. One was President Hoover, and the other was Donald Hoover Trump. <laughs> Seriously, only two presidents in American history. And look, you may remember my predecessor promised to be the greatest job president in history. Well, it didn't really work out that way. He lost two million jobs over the course of his presidency. Two million. We created 13, we've created 13.4 million new jobs. We not only recovered all the jobs we lost during the pandemic, we've added millions more. We've seen record lows in unemployment, particularly, and I've focused on this my whole career, particularly for African-Americans and Hispanic workers and veterans. And we've gone through those stats in the past. Uh, the notable part about this speech was kind of his new branding that he's using of Donald Hoover Trump because of the abysmal record of Herbert Hoover. And the fact that they're the two presidents that left office with fewer jobs and whenever they came into office. Now, as I always do go back to, and you just heard me do it previously, I don't think we need to ignore the context of COVID to explain the much stronger economic record of Joe Biden. And uh, so, yes, it's the case that most likely if COVID hadn't happened, Trump wouldn't have been one of those presidents. He wouldn't have seen less jobs when he left than whenever he came into office. Now, it's important not to ignore his mishandling, but also say whoever was president would have dealt with an economic downturn. That's absolutely the case. Okay. But if you think Trump was strong, was great because of the economy, you saw him take a good, strong economy that was left by Obama. And we're putting this into very simple terms. The president isn't driving the entire car of the economy. Uh, but that's kind of how it's talked about uh, politically often. So to use that terminology, Obama handed a strong, good economy with still lots of flaws, but again, putting it simply. And then Trump took some of those metrics and they just kind of kept heading in the direction they were heading before. We were on a trajectory. He didn't mess it up until the pandemic. Is that what you're going to say is stunning? So for example, take unemployment. Unemployment went from pretty low to historic low. Then Biden came in, it was high, and it went all the way down lower than it was under Trump. You're going to say that's not impressive on the part of Bidenomics? You think it's impressive for Trump to take pretty low to even lower, but not impressive to take it from high 
to even lower than that. <laughs> Come on. And all these different metrics reflect that, except the one thing that still is higher than we want it to be is inflation. But as we talked about, that is an economic aftermath of the pandemic caused economic downturn and the recovery that was necessary from it. And I can say that for absolutely certain uh, because of the reality that we're seeing it worldwide. In countries such as the G7 comparable economies, it's higher than it is in the United States, not to downplay the significance of the pain that it causes in people's lives here, but just to understand, okay, this is clearly larger than Joe Biden. So within the context of the authority he has, how has he done? Incredible. And that is a much stronger record, much more impressive than I didn't mess it up and we kept heading on the same trajectory we were on for a few years and then the pandemic happened and I mishandled that. I have discovered exclusively for all of you secret information about the behind the scenes, why it is that Republicans are pursuing an impeachment inquiry to President Joe Biden, despite the fact that they don't actually have impeachable offenses or anything close to it. But they tell us that they're going to find that in the inquiry, but they're doing the inquiry now, even though what I just said. And we're trying to figure out why are they doing this is not going to lead to anything good. They've had months of investigations to uncover something and they've been unable because likely <laughs> the thing doesn't exist. What they're trying to prove about Biden probably just isn't true. And nevertheless, they're proceeding with this whole charade. And the question has been, why, why, why? It's going to probably embarrass them if uh, this all ultimately fails. And as I said, I have for you the secret plan as Charlie Sykes on MSNBC nicely revealed for us all. My question for you is, without, um, without any of these Republicans willing to stand up to McCarthy and pump the brakes, what do you think happens next? Well, I think we're going to see this uh, this clown car in uh, at, at, at center stage. Look, I mean, if they have the goods, um, you know, all well and good, but they clearly don't. You know, to the congressman's point, you know, this was craven. It was cynical. It is it is pandering. But you understand why they're doing it. I mean, we're we're we're, we're now finding out that Donald Trump talked with, uh, you know, met privately with uh, with House leaders and told them that he wanted them to do this because to speak pure uh, Steve Bannon, uh, the goal here is to flood the zone with shit, uh, to uh, devalue impeachments by making sure that everybody is is impeached. So obviously I'm being tongue in cheek about this being a big secret plan, but that's what it is. Behind the scenes, what the ultimate goal here is to do, whether it's said or unsaid, is to muddy the waters is to flood the zone with feces as charlie sykes so elegantly put it it's to in the eyes of enough of the american people make trump's wrongdoing just seem uh slightly less bad because a lot of stuff's going on there with biden i don't know okay maybe they haven't been able to prove certain things and yeah the impeachment effort failed or maybe it was successful but he wasn't convicted but now Trump was impeached, Biden was impeached. There's just a whole lot of things going on in Trump's indictments, but I don't know, they say that Biden's a criminal and they don't have the smoking gun or anything close to it. But I've seen a lot of headlines about bribery and something and impeachment. And so there's clearly a lot going on on both sides. That's the idea. Even though if you look into the facts of the allegations against Biden, as we've gone through extensively, they don't actually hold up to scrutiny whatsoever. And uh, very much not the same with Trump's allegations. But 
if you pump out messaging enough and do enough of these charades, enough of these different stunts, a lot of people will be impacted and maybe won't think that Biden has been proved to be a criminal, but will think there's a lot of chaos on both sides. There's a lot of allegations on both sides. And that's the goal. Flood the zone with feces. Yikes. It is Friday, so I want to circle back on a story we talked about earlier in the week that's not so important, not so um, massively impactful, but still a little bit funny and also just an example of the constant dishonesty. So we talked about how Lauren Boebert went to in Denver, Colorado, a traveling Broadway edition of Beetlejuice, the musical, and got kicked out of the theater. She was accused of vaping, singing too loud, and recording when she wasn't supposed to at intermission, apparently, according to the theater, she was warned and she continued the behavior and got kicked out. And so then when asked for comment, her office, her congressional office said she was not vaping. That was the smoke coming from the stage. You know, they have the fog uh, as a visual effect. That's what you saw. It wasn't her vaping. Well, we got the security footage and she indeed was caught lying. Bobert, Bobert, Bobert. Say it three times and she appears in security video from a weekend performance of Beetlejuice, where the congresswoman was kicked out of the theater for being disruptive. The DCPA says she was vaping. Bobert's team denied that, said the haze was from fog machines in the show. That claim goes up in smoke when you see the video. The pregnant woman sitting behind Bobert told the Denver Post she asked her to stop vaping, and Bobert refused. Her one-woman show continued, taking flash photos, raising her hands and dancing, often the only one clapping or standing up in the crowd. Bobert occasionally took a break from being disruptive to enjoy the company of her male companion. He briefly had a grasp on the situation before ushers returned and told Bobert she had to leave. The theater's incident report says Bobert pulled the don't you know who I am card on the way out, giving theater employees the single finger salute. So caught red handed indeed. <laughs> and as I said in the last segment, even if she didn't know that she wasn't supposed to be vaping or wasn't supposed to be taking photos with the flash on, she was warned at intermission. So then she's just blatantly violating the request of the workers at the theater who aren't making the rules. They're just enforcing them. And because she thinks she's just above everything, she's going to continue with that behavior. And I feel so bad for the workers who had to be asked, do you know who I am? Ugh. <laughs> um, and the pregnant lady behind her asking if she could stop and she didn't. And as I said in uh, the initial coverage of this story, I think it's a representation of what we know to be the case, but sometimes wonder, okay, you have these people who publicly are solo character, publicly lie, 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 and seem to only care about their own political advantage and their own career and choose to, for those reasons, align themselves with a guy who Donald Trump attempted to overthrow our democratic process. And all these, they choose rhetoric that dehumanizes and demonizes so many different groups of people. But is that a character that sort of is on out publicly because they prioritize so much their political ambition, but behind the scenes, there's someone different, someone better in a sense, even though clearly deep down they have low character, but no, even in private, in her own personal life, a very low character person. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show and this week's of shows. I will see you on the uh, weekend bonus show if you're a member at lukebeasleyshow.com slash membership, or if not on Monday.